Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. So last year, it was Lucas Raymond coming into camp and everyone, including us, saying, hold your horses. He's a very exciting prospect, but, you know, he has to earn his way onto this team. And there are some there are a lot of top six wingers ahead of him who will probably beat him out for that spot based on how the Red Wings operate. We all know the story with Lucas Raymond had a season that put him in the Calder conversation for rookie of the year, made the team right out of camp and never once played in Grand Rapids this year. Elmer Soderblom comes to camp on an even more competitive Red Wings team with even more challenges in front of him. And we were saying, all right, Soderblom is an extremely exciting prospect. Don't get your hopes up. Have fun with whatever he does at camp, but in all likelihood, he's not going to kick down the door. We got to start making our prediction. We have to start talking about Casper next year, not making the team. That way it guarantees that he's on the Red Wings to start. Soderblom makes the 23-man roster. Love to be wrong. It was uh, our, the Swedish contingent of fans led by uh, led by Lars were banging the, the drum for Soderblom from day one. And that was... Years. Yeah, years ago. And they they were right. Here it is. And it's it's just to start, but it is truly Elmer Soderblom season. If this wasn't the Red Wings season preview, we would have the title of this episode easily. Yeah, it's not often a sixth round pick is on the opening night lineup three years after they were drafted. It's pretty remarkable. It's good to have uh it's good to have some late round gems again. I know Steve Dangle is going to be like seeing this and uh, he's going to like punch through his table and be like, again, they did it again. <laughs> After like, you know, the Datsuk and the Zetterberg and the Lidstroms and the million times the Red Wings have done this. It's definitely slowed down, but it's nice that it's happening again for sure. I forget what it was about, but there was, I still remember vividly this tweet from Steve. Um, after the Red Wings signed one of their prospects, one of their Swedish prospects to an ELC. And he's like, it was that uh, gif of Chris Farley where he's laughing and then gets very serious and the caption was just when you goof on the Red Wings and see they signed a Swedish guy. <laughs> All right, folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast here to talk to you about the Detroit Red Wings 2022-2023 season and our official Red Wings season preview. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast, like you just heard, we're going to be talking all things Detroit Red Wings for the upcoming season. Uh, that's going to include a look at what the 23-man roster looks like as of today, Monday night, uh, what we might expect to start the season, uh, different storylines like Soderblom making the team, Edmondson being sent down, Kosa being assigned to the AHL, uh, players who just missed it like Jonathan Bergeron and Albert Johansson, players who made it like Joe Valeno, uh, and everything else in between. And then we're going to get into our season preview in earnest, where we're going to be talking about every part of this lineup, the forwards, the defense, coaches and systems, key players, storylines to watch throughout the season, what success looks like, what a bad season would look like. And just so we can be wrong on the record again, predictions. And then, of course, we'll get into overtime. Before that, some housekeeping items that are very, very important. First of all, the uh, the Winged Wheel podcast, Mickey Redmond Special Edition Flannels, Lasted exactly one episode before being completely sold out. So thank you all so much for your support. Again, a portion of the proceeds from the sales of those flannels goes to the Jamie Daniels Foundation. So not only are you wearing a sweet Mickey Redmond style flannel with the podcast logo on it, you're supporting a good cause. And uh, if you're interested in the flannel still, 
we may do another run in the future. Go to wingedwheelpodcast.com slash shop and then go to the item and uh, click to be notified or enter your email to be notified when it comes back in stock. And that gives us a gauge on interest and when we might run uh, another uh, campaign for those. October 29th, Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. It's coming. Tickets are going fast. The gondola is completely sold out. As of right now, there are a few lower bowl tickets remaining. We might add some more. And there are uh, a chunk in uh, the upper bowl there as well. So those are super cheap, uh, great value tickets. I think they're priced at 49 bucks. So they have the special Winged Wheel Podcast discount and a portion of the proceeds of the sale of those tickets goes to the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Thanks to our good friends at the Detroit Red Wings. What Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA is, is a partnership between us and the Red Wings to host a live podcast, this time at Hockey Town Cafe, because there are so damn many of you that we have to uh, find a bigger space, which is a good problem to have. It's going to feature Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond as special guest stars. There's going to be a meet and greet uh, where you can mingle with the hosts, the guest stars, get things signed, get merch, prizes, uh, food and drink will be available as well. And then we're all going to walk over to the game. We're going to sit in our special Winged Wheel podcast seating uh, sections. It's a good time. It's a, it's a, it's a blast. And we can uh, mingle some more, watch the game, enjoy. And then there's going to be an after game party as well, where we're going to keep the whole uh, event going. So uh, it's a blast. It's for a good cause. And uh, it's cool to do this in partnership with the Red Wings. So get your tickets today, DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP, or click the link in the description. All right, let's start with the I'm going to keep using this pun, literal biggest story of the day. Elmer Soderblom has beat every single but wait, no, there's too many things in the way. It's not likely that's been put in front of him. And Elmer Soderblom has forced the hand of Derek Lalone, Steve Eisenman, and the Red Wing staff and made the 23-man roster. Walk us through how he got to this point. Well... Generally speaking, for any rookie to make any team that's going to be halfway competitive, you have you have to exceed expectations in rookie tournaments, preseason, training camp, whatever you want to call it. And Soderblom did at every level. Um, now, obviously, he has one big advantage over a typical prospect where you don't have to worry about the physicality of the game. In the at the NHL level with him because at six foot eight I think it's pretty safe to say he can handle it and nothing in the preseason uh, showed otherwise. Um, but yeah, he not only looked comfortable at this level, he he was one of the stronger players in many of the games he played. I'd say three of them, uh, minimum two, where he he was one of the better Red Wings on the ice. He was making plays. He wasn't a Afraid to try things, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad, but it it speaks to the confidence he has, even at the higher level. He's not shy on the big stage. He's not trying to change his game going up levels. He knows what he is as a player, and and he's and he executed to the best of his ability. We saw the hands. We saw the goal scoring. We saw the ability to protect the puck. We saw the ability to play off the cycle. We saw him, you know in one-on-one situations in space, be able to juke a defender, which again, we talk about what a unicorn Soderblom is, but six foot eight guys can't do that. They just can't, but he can. And, you know, when you get up levels, is he did it to, you know, Riley Stillman or whoever in the preseason. Is he going to do that to, you know, Kale McCarr, Miro Haskin? No. Not yet. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that there's some guys in this league he can do it to is 
really, really impressive. So and Soderblom is going to be matched with teams lower lines as well. Yeah, he's he's playing a bottom six role uh, in all likelihood, um, barring injuries on this team. And that that's fine. Um, you know, he's he doesn't need to come in and play twenty minutes a night. Power play one. He also can't be playing eight minutes a night. Otherwise, I'll be sitting here saying, just send him to Grand Rapids then. I don't think Derek Lalonde has been vocal from the beginning. Yeah, so he'll get halfway decent minutes. Um, and I should preface this by saying, just because he's on the Red Wings now doesn't mean he will be in 10 games. Yeah, That's, that's very still important. very possible because if he plays nine games and goes 0-0-0-0-6 in those nine games, yeah, obviously it's best for his development to go back to Grand Rapids and that's fine. He's already exceeded expectations. The expectation was for him to start in Grand Rapids. So if he ends up there in a few games, it's not the end of the world. Um, because obviously the pace is still going to get faster. Things are going to get harder. He's going to be playing against, you know, full-time NHLers now, not part-time rosters like, you know, teams deploy in the preseason. But he did everything, literally everything the Red Wings would have needed to see from him to secure an NHL spot. And, you know, they're going to give him an honest look. He beat out players like Jonathan Berggren. And Jonathan Berggren, I mean, you said this on Twitter, Brad, he had a great preseason. He's probably a guy where if the uh, 23-man roster was a 24-man roster, his name is on that list. He had, he's done, he did enough in my mind where all things balanced and all things equal, he would have made the team. Jonathan Bergen would be on the 21-22 Red Wings right now. Yeah, based on how he played, yeah, this yep. preseason. Absolutely. 100%. And that's not easy for Soderblom. Uh, Bergen had a year on him, a great year in Grand Rapids, a record-setting rookie year for Grand Rapids. It's genuinely not a knock on Jonathan Bergeron. It's it's that Elmer Soderblom in all the ways that Brad described exceeded expectations and and utilized his freakish size and abilities and executed at the pro level with zero hesitation. He came over from Sweden and did this on North American ice in a, in a very competitive camp full of NHL players who have been there and done that. And he made some of the toughest talent evaluators like Steve Eisenman out there say, yep. This guy's got to be on the team. We have to give him a look. So for at least a little bit here, we're going to get some Elmer Soderblom. And I mean, just a treat for the fans. What a great surprise to have. Again, one of the best ways to be wrong when something like this happens. Derek, Derek alone basically said in his press conference today that one of the, you know, big factors of having Elmer on the team over a Jonathan Bergeron was his size because that's something that now gives Detroit a unique advantage mm-hmm. when other teams have to game plan against them. So I think even if it was apples to apples between those two deciding who's going to take that last spot, they still go with Elmer because of what he said. And I, when I heard the press conference, I think I don't think the roster was set at that point. And it, when he said that, I was, it, it seemed like an, uh, a conclusion that Elmer was going to make the team. And what's been the biggest priority for, well, one of the biggest priorities for Eisenman from the moment the Red Wings were getting those drubbings last year where they were losing like 9, 10, 11 goal games. He wants this team to be tougher to play against. And that doesn't necessarily mean bigger all the time. But when you have a chance to add someone who's six foot eight, that you're tougher to play against. You don't have to be a six foot eight bruiser. You just have to be a six foot eight body out there protecting the puck. That's a tougher team to play against. Yeah, uh, obviously the lines that they were rolling in practice today mean nothing, so we're not going to read into it or talk about it today, but just for giggles, the one line they were rolling out as the fourth line today 
was Soderblom and Sundquist um, flanking Michael Rasmussen. Yes. Where Oscar Sundquist at six foot three was comfortably the smallest player on that line. Yes. I added up their heights, actually. Roughly 19 feet, five inches, which is, I think, just a bit taller than a fully grown male giraffe or, and I can't remember the dinosaur, the approximated length of the Carnotaurus, a carnivorous dinosaur. So you had nothing going on today. Evan, those are very important facts. I didn't say they weren't. <laughs> those are the kind of hard hitting analytics people you know what? subscribe for. As soon as I leave your house, I don't question what you do with your time. And I hope you don't question what I do with mine. We openly question you on what you do for your t- with your time all the time because we don't know what you do. I'm at the golf course. Other than that. Today I was uh, being an outdoor guy, you know, doing all the cleaning the windows, the gutters, all mm-hmm. that fun stuff. Yes, it was great. I had a great day. A very domestic day. Yeah, I was domesticated for sure. All right. So quick expectations on Elmer Soderblom. Let's say he stays for the season, which is, like you said, Brad, is not a guarantee. There is a chance he could go down after not very long. But for the sake of the argument, let's say he stays a full season. That's already a success in my mind. Disagree? Agree? Oh, yeah, that would definitely be a success. What would be your prediction on, uh, let's say, like, what's a good season and what's your prediction on Elmer Soderblom? I think he'll float between the third and fourth line. Uh, We'll probably see his minutes in the low teens. I don't foresee him playing on the penalty kill. Uh, I do see him getting time on the second power play unit for obvious reasons. Um, Point projections on a rookie are hard enough to begin with, let alone a a true unicorn player like he is. You know, this year for him, if he can play a regular shift, you know, help out uh, an atrocious power play from last year and put up somewhere in the neighborhood of like 25-ish to 30 points, I, I would consider that a massively successful season. Yeah, I, I'm at the point where if he even goes 10-10, like 10 goals, 10 assists, I'm I'm happy with that. And honestly, even if he plays 25 games with the Red Wings, I think he's, he's in line to play more. Then again, he has not seen like regular season NHL game action, and that's a whole different beast. You can play as many preseason games as you want, but you know, Players like David Perron aren't going out there and working their asses off. You don't run into the hardest uh, of hard hitters or, you know, the the hottest goal scorers in preseason. Um, but if he survives that and plays like twenty five games, for me, the bar is super low for him. Ironically enough, yeah, quantitatively, I don't know if it really matters all that much. It's him getting comfortable playing in the NHL, which is difficult enough, and I mean. We're going back to the height again, but there's nowhere for him to hide out there. No. He's going to look, he, he's Chara, basically, and everyone's going to see him, and guys are going to notice that immediately. So there is absolutely no place for him to hide. So if he can, you know, manage to play at the NHL level and, and stay up above water, and I, I don't even know really what a point total would be for him to, to be successful. I think if he turns helps turn around the second power play unit, um, I think that's really all that matters. If he scores twenty five, if he scores ten, twenty five points, thirty five points, I think that's all going to be a fantastic season for for Elmer. You want to know the stupidest thing that I thought when I was at the game on Friday? First of all, great to be back at the LCA this season. Um, and also, 
for those at the LCA who have been to the LCA for games against the Leafs, you'll know, especially as the Red Wings have been in the basement for the last little while, the uh, amount of Canadians coming over for the Leafs-Red Wings split. Sometimes the Leafs fans outnumbered the Red Wings fans. And there were still a lot of Leafs fans there. But it wasn't as disproportionate as it's been in the past. And that's a great sign for this team. Uh, but you want to know my my most prominent thought watching that game? Holy shit, he's even bigger in person. Like, he is just so colossal on the ice. You don't have to look at his jersey number or his name. You just look, you're like, yeah, that's Soderblom. People don't really realize how tall six foot eight really is. It is, it's like two Brads. <laughs> it's like if Brad just a bit more, was yeah. on the shoulders of another Brad. Which, God help us all. Yeah. Is sitting or standing? Like, am I sitting on my shoulders or am I standing, standing on my shoulders? Standing like you are right now. I was going to say sitting, but Ryan is a worse friend, so... Uh, I certainly am. <laughs> I'll say sitting. <laughs> um, okay, let's talk about the storyline that started uh, yesterday when the Red Wings made their first batch of assignments to Grand Rapids. Uh, among the players sent down Pontus Andreasen, Jonathan Berggren, um, Albert Johansson, Jared McIsaac, Sabrango, Vero, Bratstrom, etc., uh, but the biggest name in there, Simon Edvinson. Now let's rewind a little bit. Uh, this is a perfect example of me being wrong. Is we talked last episode about is Edvinson ready, and the, the unanimous con- or idea was that no, probably not NHL ready yet. And if given any one of us the choice, he'd be in Grand Rapids, based on his play and for all over training camp in the preseason. So I really did think he was going to Grand Rapids. And then, you know, Derek Lalone has spoken very highly of Simon Edmondson. And then they pulled him. They said he was playing the Friday game, but not the Saturday game. Saturday was the last game of the preseason. And generally, the idea is the Friday game would be the NHLers, the A squad. And the Saturday game would be the guys still fighting for a spot. So when I thought, oh, they might start him in Detroit for the year just to see. Maybe it's until Jake Wallman comes back or whatever it might be. And I was like, oh, man, this reads a lot like Simon Edvinson starting the year in Detroit. Yeah, no. See, I thought the opposite. Because you're smarter than me. Well, yes. But I think they, I think typically what they would do is they would play him again on Saturday, which I'm glad they didn't. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that was. uh, But usually when you've seen what you've come to your conclusion, you just. And I thought, you know, if they were. absolutely set on keeping him in Detroit, they would have played him Saturday and just finalized that look. And I think him playing Friday, not Saturday, really was was uh, the conclusion that he was going back to Grand Rapids or going to a Grand Rapids for the first time. Yeah. So ultimately, Simon Edvinson indeed is sent down to Grand Rapids. Initial thoughts on uh, that assignment? Good. Um, he clearly displayed the talent that he possesses. We all know why he was taken sixth overall. We know what his trajectory likely is in terms of what type of NHL player he is going to be based on his talent and skill set. It was abundantly obvious uh, all of last season in the SHL, and you saw it at many different points between the rookie tournament, preseason, etc., but when he got to the NHL preseason, the mistakes were obvious as well. He, he was a textbook case of very high highs and very low lows, like just inexcusable turnovers, blown coverage more than once. You know, I'm not going to say the effort waned because I, I don't think that's an issue with Edmondson. I think that's just a style of play that gets miscast 
as lack of effort because I really do think Edvinson is a competitive player. But when you make a mistake, when you know you quote unquote play the game in a rocking chair like he does, it just makes it look that much worse. If you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And so that just amplified the numerous mistakes he made and. You know, it wasn't like he just had a couple. It was consistent. Like, every game he played, you could isolate three or four instances where you're like, that just cannot happen at the NHL level. And if they were one-offs or two-offs, that's, again, completely excusable for a rookie coming in. And then with his talent, you could absolutely justify putting him on the 23-man roster and starting in Detroit. But unfortunately, that wasn't the case. He was extremely inconsistent through the whole preseason. And, you know, there weren't enough jaw-dropping moments, the extreme highs to outweigh the the clear refining he needs to do in his game. So I, I think personally for the Detroit Red Wings as a hockey team, this is a bit of a setback because obviously they would, would have been better with a, uh, Simon Edvinson in the roster executing. But for Simon Edvinson, this is better because now he's got more of a runway to smooth out the rough parts of his game to just even increase the talents in his game to learn to pick his spots better to handle the small ice better you know what types of passes and deeks that he so frequently used in the SHL can he get away with in North America and figure things out a little more and then I think the expectation would be he spends damn near the whole year in Grand Rapids you know give if you want to give him a cup of tea in the NHL at some point so he gets a feel for it absolutely by all means but then the expectation has to be next year, all right, Cade, you're coming into camp and you better not lose this spot because we've got you penciled in for one. We know you should, and we gave you a full year to develop. So, you know, I, I don't think this is a setback for Edvinson at all. I honestly think it's a positive. I think he's going to be better for it in the long run. And uh, yeah, when I saw the release, I was not surprised in a little bit because I was on the same wavelength as Evan. Because I think Lalone said something along the lines of the Friday-Saturday games of we've seen what we need to see. Mm-hmm. That's never good. When they say it yeah. like that, that is not good. And, as someone and, who's been cut from a lot of teams, <laughs> that is not good. <laughs> and we all saw Edmondson in the preseason. I don't think anybody was sitting there banging the table going, this guy is crushing it right now. So I, I when I saw that, I'm like, okay, he's he's probably going to Grand Rapids. And again, nobody should be upset about this. Nobody should be sounding an alarm. This was expected. This is what's best for him. And this is why the Red Wings signed a billion defensemen this offseason because they're not screwed on the roster either. Derek alone was very honest in his press conference conference today and he basically said the consistency was not there. And he specifically called out the Washington game where he said he was just not good enough. Um, he liked how Simon Edmondson responded in future games, but he said at the NHL level, like consistency is the hardest thing to do. And he said, it's just yeah. not there right now. And he's better served in Grand Rapids. You know, he said all this and, and he's been so upfront and straightforward. I know it's, it's bizarre. And I've had to stop myself from basically we're just used to like trying to read between the lines of Steve Eisman or like understand what Jeff Blashill did. And so I have zero trust whenever something is said to the media, but Derek Lalone's a straight shooter and he kind of, and he's not like John Tortorello there. He's not brutal to these players, but he's the way he handles media and with fans, like he's talks very honestly. And there, I personally agree with the assessment that you just uh, quoted Evan. And it's, it was what ultimately transpired. So he just laid out all the facts. Yeah. And I think he's right. Like that, there were games where he was bad, and there was games where I thought he's better. Like the Toronto game, I thought he had some really good moments. 
And uh, ultimately, that's not enough at the NHL level. Like that's, that's exactly it. Can you imagine this season the Red Wings hadn't gone out and shored up their defense and they had to put Edmondson on this roster? That could have been devastating for him. Yeah, it would have been an absolute train wreck because especially if you want to get into the the absolute details of Edmondson's preseason, you could almost cut the ice in half as to where he was having success and where he looked very not ready because he made a lot of good reads and a lot of good plays in the Ozone. Um, a couple good pinches. There were even plays where, you know, just the pass didn't get through, but you could see where his mind was and like his players, read, his teammates read off of it. Because I remember one where him and Zadina ran basically, it was kind of like a quarter zone cycle and Zadina through this beautiful backhand sauce and if it like the defender got lucky and picked it out of the air at the last second got just enough of it to knock it out of Edmondson's reach Edmondson was home free like it would have been a a plus scoring chance had that puck got through and the way the play broke down you run that exactly as it is nine times out of ten that defenseman's not touching that puck and you know Edmondson had a couple other good reads couple other good pinches I forget there was a goal that he didn't get an assist on but it was his pinch that forced the turnover that led to the goal yep you could see it, but then the other half of the ice was a constant adventure for him. Like, again, inconsistent was the right word because he just missed coverages, missed the one goal against, or scoring chance against Washington where Connor Brown just literally skated past him. Like, it's just like you can't do that at the NHL level. Uh, and coupled with a bunch of bad turnovers in his own zone, it, if you had to do that for 82 games and, and he was at the level he is now, that is an absolute confidence breaker because you know to use a baseball reference for example you could back when Edwin and Carnassian was in the Blue Jays you could almost predict his batting average by his fielding percentage because when he was having a rough go at third base his batting average plummeted so you got to imagine that if Evanson's having like a really rough 10 games in his defensive zone his confidence is gone he's not making those pinches those reads in the offensive zone right Mm. like it it takes away part of who he is because he doesn't trust himself to do it in Grand Rapids, he's going to be able to make mistakes and get away with it where you don't get away with it at the NHL level. Like, there are going to be some that are going to burn him. It's going to happen. It comes with the style he plays, and that's fine. And he's played long enough. He knows that. But it's just, it won't happen as often. So, you know, if he tries, you know, juking a guy on the breakout and it doesn't work, well, he's probably going to be so much faster and so much bigger than a lot of guys in the HL. He'll be able to turn around and break up that play. He'll outskill his opponents. Exactly. Yeah. In the NHL, he can't do that. That Those turnovers result in goals or grade A scoring chances. So, you know, it, it's fine. Lalonde was right in his assessment. They were right in the decision to send him to Grand Rapids. And, you know, I'm actually really excited to see Edmondson, for lack of a better term, try some shit in the HL this year so he can figure out this works, that doesn't, and bring it with him to next season. I didn't even, you know what, I don't, like, the person I do, like, feel bad for because it's just a, once just a bad circumstance is Jonathan Berggren. Like, I really thought this year was going to be the year he made the team, and, you know, stuff like this happens where an Elmer Soderblom comes out of, not out of nowhere because he literally can't. Um, comes in, has it a fantastic camp, makes the team. It, it Stuff like that happens, but man, that's the one guy I do feel bad for starting in Grand Rapids this year. I think he'll... We, we talked with Prashant. He's call-up 1A for sure. We will see him this year. Anytime you don't need a Giovanni Smith type, it will be... It should be Jonathan Burke. Which is always. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's not really a spot for that on the team unless there's something, you know, 
a game where you know it's going to be rough. I usually advocate for the boomer window. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's a strong take when I am against that. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll just make one point about that just quickly. What does Giovanni Smith do that Adam Ernie can't do as well? Uh, he fights a little better, but in terms of actually like productive hockey, on this version of the Red Wings, it's a much harder sell to say Giovanni Smith should be on this team at all times. Yeah, Giovanni Smith was a fringe player on some of the worst Red Wings teams in their history. He's not an NHLer. Like I, I we all we love got the ben guy. Sherratt. Yep. Ben Sherratt can can play some of that as well. Maybe Soderblom has an anger streak that we don't know about. When you're taller than everybody and you, you've got some strength, maybe he will uh, impose his will on some people. And, and we started seeing that crazy look in Michael Rasmussen's eyes a few times last he season. He crawled it, out of the bush at the right time. He choke slammed uh, someone on the Penguins. I can't remember who it was, but he literally grabbed him by the neck and slammed him to the ice. I was like, do do that more, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, point being, as much as we all love Giovanni Smith because he's a great guy, there's there's no reason for him to be on the Red Wings unless there is just a high volume. Twenty of years ago, if there's a game where you know you need a fight, or there's you know the Red Wings are definitely missing the grit, or there's enough injuries to justify it, sure. NHL regular, no. Yeah, two three guys go down by all means. There's yeah. not there's not going to be two or three forwards in Grand Rapids better than Giovanni Smith. We all know this. So it's not like he's so far down the depth chart. We're never, ever under a million years going to see him under any circumstance. No, it. we probably will, but all things considered, we kind of hope we don't because it means things are going well yes. at the NHL level. Uh, that's Bergeron. That's Smith. I, I want to talk about a couple other players. Sebastian Kosa. Obviously wasn't, you know, a Red Wings role wasn't in the cards from this year and I think it would have been pretty crazy to expect that considering how much development he has left to to, to come in his career path. But uh, I think he, based on the concerns that maybe came up over how his WHL season went and then ended, uh, especially in the Memorial Cup, and then again in World Juniors, how he came in and played in the preseason, I saw some improvement. And the Red Wings talked about what they were having Kosa focus on. So he ultimately was assigned to the AHL in Grand Rapids, and there are going to be some decisions to be made there. They have Bratstrom and they have Okanora down there as well. Smith, Okanora, um, Chris Cuolo, and uh, Taro Hirose were all waived and cleared. Um, but yeah, it, what they're going to do there, are they going to carry three goalies? Maybe that's been suggested uh, to me, but he's going to have an opportunity in the AHL, which is, again, really competitive hockey based on what he had before. So if that's where he sticks, like much the same as Edvinson, but I think even more amplified, no one really should have expected like a guaranteed massive performance from him, but this is a really great opportunity to develop in the AHL in my mind. I, I, I think, think he's it, the most improved prospect. I don't I don't even know what the, the, the timeline on that would be. Like, in like the last for me, six weeks? Six months too, maybe. Like from where he was at the World Juniors to where he is at this exact moment, it almost seems night and day to me. The fact that they were able to work with him so quickly and, and, and sort of start to really refine it and quiet things down. Um, it's impressive. I I honestly would be shocked if he's in the East Coast Hockey League. I might be a little bit just because I, I have a hard time believing they're going to carry three goalies in Grand Rapids um, because I, they were pretty vocal about Wherever Kosa goes, 
he's going to play. They want him to play and play a bunch. And if you're car- carrying three goalies, uh, two of whom are established at levels much higher than Kosa, you know, Ulk Lenora looked fine in uh, the preseason and so did Bratstrom. And I don't think anybody's expecting them to be terrible at the NA- at the AHL level. They might just make <sighs> a decision to move on from one of them. Like, like you mentioned in a previous episode, Evan, like, you have a vested interest in Costa doing well. So even if someone like Oklanora is outperforming him, it might be better off for you to either, you know, the critical path. Yeah. Is through Sebastian Costa at some point. Like I honestly think if it was a minimal difference or a slight difference, I think they would still prefer to have Costa in the AHL. Unless Costa has been absolutely terrible, then you assign Okanora elsewhere. Like you do something else with that player and there might be AHL injuries or something and they can move one of the other two. Like, uh, yeah, I think they, they definitely need to, protect their investment with Sebastian Kosa. The one thing that I think is notable here, especially when developing a goaltending prospect in Grand Rapids, Edvinson, Johansson, Vero, Sabrango, Barton. Grand Rapids might have the youngest D decor in the entire AHL, which from a prospect de- development standpoint for them is super exciting. Like uh, Grand Rapids is going to be a, a really fun, fascinating team to watch this season. If you're a goalie, that probably scares the shit out of you. <laughs> the good teams in the AHL typically aren't the young, high prospect teams. They're no. the veteran AHL guys who have been there, done that. No, there's there's a lot of opportunity on these Grand Rapids Griffins, but I... I hesitate a little bit to say that they're going to, you know, run the show. It's going to be fun. No, I, I don't think they're going to run the show. I'm not even convinced they're going to make the AHL playoffs because they're going to be so much younger than a lot of teams, which has its advantages for the Red Wings. But in terms of icing a competitive, we're going to win the championship in the AHL team, this isn't the recipe. It's for the for the benefit of the franchise overall in the future. This is the best case scenario. But... Yeah, like you need the Chris Terry's and the Ben Streets. Those the teams that have a lot of those guys are the teams that generally succeed in the AHL because these guys have been around forever. They put up a ton of points. They know how to win at this level. They're not they're not adjusting anything in their game. They are just that level of player, which is a first line high scoring AHL level player. You know, um, obviously a lot of the Red Wings prospects will exceed that expectation, but they're not there yet. No. They're they're well below that. So. You know, if you're throwing Kosa in there behind a professional hockey team whose defense's average age is 21 and a half years old or something like that, if you want Kosa to see a lot of pucks this year, this is the way. Yeah. For me, I'm keeping the bar low on Kosa. What does success look like? You make a case to stay in the AHL all year and, you know, play at least a third of the games. Yeah, I think I think for goalies moving down leagues is much more difficult on the psyche than it would be for players. Because Mm -hmm. if I got sent down, I would just be like, okay, I can wheel and deal and do all this other stuff and put up a ton of points. But for goalies, it's like, okay, now I'm not playing against guys. I thought I could, you know, stop the puck against like, it's, it's, I mean, I, I am definitely not a goalie, so I don't know if that's true, but I, I feel like in that position, that's how I would feel as a goalie. Like a player, it's great because then you, you're you're putting up 
multiple points a game. It's the best. You're playing first power play, first line. It's it's the absolute best. All 50 people in the town you play in in the East Coast League know you. Yeah. It's fantastic. You get discounts on your dry cleaning. Um, but I think for goalies, like that's a lot tougher for them to sort of rationalize and come to terms with. But Evan, you've been around hockey for a long time and you've played in a lot of teams and you know a lot of goalies. So you've probably had lots of conversations in the shower after a game with goalies <laughs> about how As they... As we scrubbed each yeah. other's bodies. Yeah. <laughs> about how they after hate... After dark. <laughs> about how goalies hate playing weaker teams, dropping down levels because it throws their timing off. They Oh, they, yeah. They feel like they play worse. I know um, a couple of goalies personally and they they hate when we play garbage teams because they play worse because you expect consistency in front of you from not only your team, but the shooters, the offense, the the passes are going to be crisp. The shots are going to be hard and accurate. So you're timed up to what that level of hockey should be. And then all of a sudden, if you're taken out of that and what you expect to happen in front of you in terms of shot quality and offense generating isn't happening at the same pace, consistency, whatever, it, it throws you off. And again, I'm not a goalie, but I have talked to several goalies personally at, at who play higher levels that say, yeah, they can't do it. It's like they go from playing in the, you know, fed and then going into play beer league and their numbers in beer league are way worse, even though you'd think they'd be unbeatable because it's just, they're not used to it. So I'm not saying that would or wouldn't happen to Kosa if he has to go to the East coast league. Cause obviously I would still say the ECHL is a lot better than the WHL, which is what he's used to. But if his skill level dictates AHL quality, then yeah, they have to find a way to get him reps in the AHL. But if he goes into camp with the AHL, gets in a couple games and looks like garbage, then yeah, okay, send him to the coast, get him a ton of reps at a lower level and let him work his way up. But if it looks like he can hang at that level, if that's trading Bratstrom or Okinora or you know assigning one of them, loaning them to a European club for the year, they have to do it. They have to. Because, again, as as good as Bratstrom was last year, he's not the answer in Detroit. Olkinor is 31 years old. He's... Dust. Even, yeah. He, he's... Ancient. He's, he, he's a distant relic from the past. Um, so the priority has to be Kosa, however they decide they break this down. All right. Uh, any other thoughts on the players who are sent down? So, you know, the 23-man roster is what it is. There, there aren't really too many other surprises in terms of the Red Wings who made it. Uh, I'll read out the list, actually, for everyone. So, obviously, Larkin, Bertuzzi, Raymond, Verona, Kopp, Peron, Kubelik, Soderblom, Suter, Zadina, Rasmussen, Valeno, Sunkvist, and Ernie. So, that's 14 forwards. They went with 70, Sider, Sherratt, Ronick, Mata, Hag, Lindstrom, Osterley, and then Husso and Ned are the goaltenders. Uh, injured reserve, Robbie Fabry, and injured non-roster players, Seth Barton, Mark Pissick, and uh, Jake Wallman. Yeah, Jeremy Biakabatuka was released from his amateur tryout. He'll probably sign with the Wolves or an AHL team, but that's how the 23-man roster was set, and then um, obviously a bunch of players were sent down. Any thoughts on any of those players who either made the team, were sent down, or released? I'm just happy they didn't galaxy brain the waiver wire thing and just kept Joe Valeno. Yeah. Because he was he's so obviously an NHL player. He had a fantastic preseason he really looked better towards the end of last season. I know they were saying, you know, he could go to the AHL and dominate, and he's one of the few players who is waiver-exempt. He's an NHLer. Full stop, period, end of statement. Joe Valeno should never play another game in Grand Rapids. 
you know, is he ever going to be a top six, you know, stud? No, but he's very clearly a third to fourth line center at the NHL level at this point in his development. So now let him develop at that level to find out what his true ceiling is. Because, you know, in years past, the Red Wings always seemed to overthink it. Oh, we got we got to send Valeno down because we can't afford to expose Giovanni Smith on waivers, even though nobody's going to claim him, which shocker, nobody claimed him. They didn't do that this year. They said, we have enough talent. Who cares? We're just keeping plainly the best 23. I don't think there was a single decision made about this roster where they didn't just look at it and go, this is the best guy right now for this team. Yeah, Valeno had a a fantastic preseason, especially by his own standards. He's another player where really got into his groove as the season went on. You mentioned last episode, Brad, he came in early 2022 and stayed with the Red Wings for good reason. Uh, And much like Kosa, a lot of what the Red Wings are going to be able to do in the future is based on how Valeno can progress as hopefully a centerman on this team. You know, don't go expecting him to be a first-line center, but this is a guy who should be a pretty solid third-line center for them, all things going well, maybe even higher. Who knows? Um, So, yeah, I completely agree, Brad. I'm I'm happy that he stayed. Him and Zadina were cycling in as 13th and 14th forwards during the the lines today, the practice, uh, according to Max Boltman, which... Was a bit surprising, but it's, L- it's practice lines and Lalonde has already come out and said, "Don't read anything into that." There's a good chance it's changed by tomorrow. There's still what, as of time of recording this, four more days until the season opener. Lots of time to experiment with a lot of combinations. There's a ton of new players on this team. It's a new coach, um, new systems, new basically everything. So he has almost this entire week to tinker with things, to try guys in different combinations. Uh-oh. He's Just hit the algorithm. He said, try guys. <laughs> he's he's going to I have no idea what it. that means, but please continue. <laughs> it's for the best. I'm only vaguely aware. It's fine. Um, but yeah, he'd be silly to not try everything. Like I said, he tried Soderblom with Sundquist and Rasmussen today. If he can find a line with 37 feet of forwards to deploy... Yeah, now's the time to figure out if it works or not. Yeah, he actually didn't even like that line. There was just someone from the Guinness Book of World Records in the room, and he was just trying to see if that was actually the tallest line in NHL history. It might be. It, it would have to be, right? Because Soderblom's is the tallest player to ever play in the NHL, not named Zdeno Chara. So then you stick him with a guy who's what? What's Rasmussen? 6'5"? Yep. And then 6'3 for Sun. There's no way that wouldn't be the tallest line. Okay. Uh, we're going to jump into our... Red Wing season preview, but before that, I do want to tell you that this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by NordVPN. Are you missing out on a game or your favorite show because it's not available in your region? Let me introduce NordVPN. Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can watch and browse as if you're elsewhere in the world, making sure you never miss a game and can watch whatever content you'd like. No need to travel across the continent or oceans for your favorite team when NordVPN brings them right to you. With over 5,000 server options, no game or show is out of your reach. Using the link nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, you can receive a huge discount on NordVPN's cybersecurity two-year plan plus four free months. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. 
Don't forget, there's literally no risk to you with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund, and you can pretend the entire thing never happened. Check out our special link, nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, to get your discounted subscription started today. Okay. Detroit Red Wings season preview. We got into it with the roster, but now let's talk about what to expect for the 2022-2023 season. And I think the biggest storyline on that front is what happens with this brand new look forward group where the returning players like Larkin, Bertuzzi, and Raymond and the new players like Peron, Kopp, and Kubelik all have massive, uh, could have massive impacts on the way the season goes. So let's start with that top line because I think every single one of those three players, Larkin, Bertuzzi, and Raymond, comes in with a big question mark in new ways. For me, Larkin, Bertuzzi, They're coming in off career years, playing the best hockey of their lives on the last years of their contracts, approaching unrestricted free agency. That is a big, big question mark. What's to make of that? I think what I expect from each of them is slight improvement, if that makes sense. I want to see Lucas Raymond avoid the sophomore slump. I want to see Larkin firmly establish himself as a number one center in the NHL. I want to see Bertuzzi prove that he's worth a contract extension because you know he's going to be asking a lot, right? Is it reasonable to expect three for three on improvement? No, probably not because life doesn't work that way most of the time. But we know it's a... Uh, top 10 capable first line in the NHL. We've seen them do it for extended periods. We've seen them do it before Raymond got there with Mantha in his place. Um, You know, Bertuzzi and Larkin are going to be super motivated. Contract years. You've always heard the player, like, in a contract year, just, you know, they're, they're literally playing for millions of dollars. If Larkin and Eisenman don't come to a contract agreement before the, uh, Season starts, so let's just say hypothetically he signs one around Christmas, okay? If Dylan Larkin is over a point per game at that point, how many millions of dollars does did he make himself in that window? Literally millions, because now he can sit there and go, you wanted to pay me 8.7, I'm producing like a $9.5 million center, and that's what you're going to pay me for the next eight years. Well, Elliot Friedman reported today that... Uh in his opinion, he believes that the contracts that Barzell, Cairo, Thomas, et cetera, got have driven up the price on players like, he said Larkin and Horvat, but relevant to this, Dylan Larkin. And that's not anything that anyone couldn't read between the lines. Yeah, right? we already had an extensive conversation about that. So uh, this is definitely a conversation where Larkin and his brand new big hitter free agent, or sorry, uh, uh, player agent are asking for probably, you know, between nine and a half and 10 or something. And Eisenman's probably wanting to get him in under nine. And if this goes into the season, every single game, Iserman's going to be watching Larkin going, prove it. You say you're a nine and a half million dollar center, prove it. Because if he regresses from last year, that contract isn't going up. So he he's literally got everything on the line right now. So he'll be as motivated as he's ever been in his NHL career. So in theory, this should be the best season of his career because A, He'll never be more motivated. And B, he's never played with this much talent 
outside of maybe his rookie year. So, you know, th- this and and obviously for all the reasons I just laid out for Larkin, they also apply to Bertuzzi as well because all the same statements for the most part hold true. If they regress this year, we can confidently say they are no better than we've already seen. This is that we've already seen their absolute peak because what more could they have going for them this year versus their entire career so far? I think coming into contract years is going to create a lot. We've seen it time and time again, and it's not just the NHL. It's across all sports. Players coming into contract years, they just do things that they always seem to have career years. I'm not saying they're going to go do what Aaron Judge did with the Yankees this year, which is maybe one of the most successful bet-on-yourself moments in sports history, but... No, I'll say Larkin scores 62. <laughs> I'll take... Hey, if Larkin scores 62, pay the man whatever he wants. Uh, but those are two of the most driven, motivated motivated players on the Red Wings who have seen the worst of this rebuild. And they, they want to get paid. Larkin, this is the first time there's been a kind of tougher contract negotiation, which I don't even know if you can call it that yet. And Bertuzzi, I mean, this is status quo. Third time, no one expected it to be easy. And if they did, I'd say, what do you know that no one else does, right? Um They've done it. Bertuzzi has proved it. Larkin has proved it. They'll need to do it more. I agree, Brad, but I'm fully expecting them to come in and have another great year that might even elevate our standards of what they can do even more. I will say I agree completely that this year, what they do will very much indicate their peak. I would have to imagine that this season is in and around what the, the best hockey they can produce. And having a higher talent down the lineup helps um, take some eyes away from them and take some focus away from them. So that's just another point to them having a uh, even more um, production this year. So it'll be very interesting to see how the top line sort of performs and how that all shakes out this season because it's it's now or never really with that line. Assuming, you know, and, and this is going to be a caveat for this whole conversation. Lines and pairings are going to be shaken up this year. New system, new coach, bunch of new players. They have a lot more flexibility. Sending Bertuzzi to the second line is no longer a death sentence to his production. So, but yes, in essence, that is the top line. What I'm most fascinated about with that top line, with Bertuzzi specifically, I should say, really has nothing to do with them. Because we know, you know, from a franchise standpoint, we can't lose Larkin. Like they, they're already thin at center. They can't afford to lose their franchise center when they're hitting the gas pedal to go. And he and his agent both know it. The emergence of Soderblom, uh, Berggren, the possible emergence of Zadina, what does Kubalik bring to this team? I think all those guys are going to very heavily impact what happens in Bertuzzi's contract negotiations. Because again, you look at a lot of teams, they don't necessarily pay wingers seven, eight, nine million dollars, whatever Bertuzzi's asking for. If Eisenman's looking at roster construction and going, yeah, we have pretty big holes on the left side of the defense, we need another center, whatever that might be, and he feels that money's spent could be spent better elsewhere because he's comfortable being able to replace Bertuzzi on that line with Zadina, Kubalik, Soderblom, Berggren, Verana, whoever, take your pick. Man, that changes the whole dynamic of what could happen with him. If if Zadina has a bad year, Kubalik doesn't do much, Soderblom, you know, shows he's not ready. 
Bertuzzi becomes way less expendable. His motivation goes way up because he knows they have to pony up for him. So it's going to be a really, really interesting dynamic that unfortunately we'll never know because we're not a fly on the wall in those negotiations. But Steve Eisman's not a yeah. talker. Yeah. It, behind the scenes, it could get extremely interesting. Yeah. The, the amount of leverage that Eisman has in the Bertuzzi conversations is, I think, orders of magnitude more than what he has in the Larkin conversation. With Larkin, he's hoping that Larkin buys in and, you know, accepts the whole concept of this is the team I want to build around you as captain, as a leader, and we can't do that if you want us to pay you, you know, 10.25 or whatever you're asking. And and that's going to depend on Larkin. With Bertuzzi, he can legitimately say, yeah, you've been great. Team loves you. Yeah, you've, you've been a force to be reckoned with in so many ways. You're a pretty unique player, so I'm not saying we can replace you. But if we lose you, we'll survive. Yeah, it's almost polar opposites between the two. With Larkin, he holds none of the cards. Larkin has a full no move, is a pending unrestricted free agent at the Red Wings' biggest position of need with the C on his chest. With Bertuzzi, he has a glut of replacement options behind Bertuzzi and can trade him at any point if he wants to for an absolute haul. So Bertuzzi's only negotiating point is, I'm not signing, I'm going to free agency, to which Eisman can just go, fine, then I'm trading you for the moon. Whereas Larkin goes, I'm not signing. Eisman is screwed. All this builds really well for Lucas Raymond. Two motivated top-line players who are poised to have career years, or at least close to what they did last year, that's great for uh, a player coming into a sophomore season who wants to avoid the sophomore slump. And let me tell you, you know, the sophomore slump is a thing. Like, I, I don't want to pretend it's not. And I would say it's a risk for every rookie player, especially successful ones, for a few different reasons. The foremost being that, um, you know, whatever tricks they have, and if they were good, teams are going to hone in on that. If you're good in your rookie season, teams are going to be watching tape on you, and they're going to say, this guy does two or three things well. Shut those down and let's see how he reacts. We saw his game take a step back when team, teams really focused on collapsing on him fast last year, especially on the power play. It took a while for him to kind of regain his form because teams just closed up on him and, and cheated towards him immediately. Um, but Lucas Raymond seems to be the type of player who takes diversifying his game and strengthening his weaknesses really, really uh, uh, seriously. Before he even came to the NHL, he focused on his shot, and that paid dividends for him when he came to the Red Wings. You know, so if he is sheltered, so to speak, by really strong players, and even if he's, it's not Larkin and, and Bertuzzi, it's Cop and Verona, whoever, he's going to have a lot of talent to play with, and and I have a lot of hope that, based on how he plays and, and conditions himself and, and trains, he should be able to continue to expand on his good work from last season. The players who transition easiest when things get tough, are the players with extreme hockey IQ. And that's Lucas Raymond's biggest strength. So if there's any type of rookie that in theory can avoid the sophomore slump, it's him. Now, again, like you said, every team has a full season of tape on him now. He's going to be getting a lot more attention. Maybe the counting stats could drop a little bit and he could still have a successful season because he's doing everything else right and so much better. Maybe his shooting percentage goes down a little bit. I don't know. There's there's a million scenarios here. But um, yeah, after watching what he did to Chicago in the preseason, I, I think he's fine. He looks like he's looks like he's uh, 
bounced back from a slow finish to the season uh, just fine in the preseason. It's not like he plays a position where he is out on an island. Like he's playing with Dylan Larkin, playing with Tyler Bertuzzi, and he's a winger. And a lot of the guys who have sophomore slumps are in those exposed positions. And they're on teams that just did not add the type of depth that the Red Wings did. Like they're the guys who made their team out of necessity because there was no one else and they they're still just that the lone talent on that team and teams can shut that down and can make life a living hell for those guys. Well, now the Red Wings have all this depth. Lucas Raymond's a winger. Um, they, they've definitely attempted to isolate or insulate Lucas Raymond from having a sophomore slump. Part of that insulation is, you know, a lot of the second line, two of them being new players and I mean, presume second line, two of them being new players and one of them being hopefully a healthy player for 82 games. Peron, Kopp, and Verana. Let's talk about Kopp first because he was a very expensive, uh, very big contract, but to come in to come in and solve what is Detroit's biggest need, or what was at least, uh, their second line center position. Someone other than Dylan Larkin to play center in a top six way that is actually a top six centerman, not, you know, Pew Suter at being asked to play a second line center role or, or Joe Valeno or Michael Rasmussen asked to be playing a second second line center role when they really shouldn't be. Cop now has a lot to live up to. He is one of the players in my mind who we have to have the highest expectations of. There's a little grace period for any new player coming in to gel with the new team, of course. but Especially coming off injury. Yes, and he had core surgery, so there's going to be some rust there. But over the course of a season, Cop needs to be, in my mind, one of the foremost storylines for the Red Wings in a positive way. Like he needs to go out there and have a good season because a lot is riding on him and how he does because there's a lot of money and a lot of years attached to him. Yeah, and you know, unfortunately for him, so many big free agent contracts that look exactly like his blow up quickly. Um, nobody's expecting that to happen with Cop, but you know that's got to be in the back of his mind. So he's got that added bit of pressure on himself that he has to come in here and perform right away. Now, again, new team, core surgery. I, I think right away would be on the extreme end because, you know, if it takes him a month or two to kind of get his feet under him, you know, that makes sense considering everybody else on this team has been skating with everybody else for the last three to four weeks. So he's that much behind and that's fine. But yeah, he, he literally was the prize of the off season. They paid him. He was one of the more sought after free agents and he's plugging the biggest needs. So, you know, I gen- we generally, I think we've done a better job in recent years of like not being overly critical or putting unrealistic expectations and, and being pretty, you know, rational in what we expect mm-hmm. of players. We can't with Andrew Cobb. No, no, no. We it, can't. He genuinely. got paid like he's coming in to be a really good number two center. So anything less than a really good number two center is a failure on his part. And... You know, that that sounds extreme to say, but that comes with the territory of being an unrestricted free agent. If Andrew Kopp is sitting at the end of the year, you know, with a dash three and 34 points, that's a horrible year. Like, that's a complete and utter failure. He's got to be, at worst, a plus player floating around, you know, probably, hopefully over the 50-point mark. That's the reality of it. And it's, again, fair or not to him, it comes with the territory of when you sign a contract like that. Yeah. 
there's no mistaking what David Perron is coming into this team. He's not a young gun. He's not being asked to produce uh, a world of of five on five production for eighty two games. He's thirty four years old. He's gonna. That's not that old. It's I, I would call it half dead. Your cartilage is essentially just paper mache at this point. I have to imagine, Brad. But no, seriously, like this is a guy who's a, an extremely tough competitor in the NHL, but at the same time isn't com- coming in and being asked to be the future of this team. But for me, Perron could be someone who could really boost this power play. You know, the veteran presence, the toughness. You, you think about being hard to play against, but also being a productive player of the team. Perron is an older version of Tyler Bertuzzi in that way. Not the same play styles, but, you know, can come in and, and contribute in that manner without being a complete anchor uh, elsewhere on the ice. So that for me, Perron is, is you hope that he he's able to do that on a second line role. But again, you look at the amount of talent on this team and if you move Perron down to the third line to help elevate or, or move production down to your depth, that's no longer a death sentence to production like it was in previous years, like I mentioned before. He'll have a, a decent center or a good winger to work with on the third line maybe. So for Perron, there's a lot more upside and I think less risk to what he could bring to this roster. And uh, someone I'm really excited to watch. Special teams is a big story and we're going to talk about that and, and Perron's going to be a big factor in that. What a luxury it finally is to have Andrew Kopp and David Perron on your second line. And my expectations are they're the second and third best players on that line. <laughs> yeah, because Jacob Verona, who is at his best, the Red Wings' best pure goal scorer. His shot is unreal, sometimes automatic. If you give him a one-timer anywhere in his wheelhouse, which is massive, he's putting it in. If Jacob Verona can stay healthy for 82, he's he should be a candidate for 35 to 40 goals in my mind. I, I know it's a large expectation. You can't sit there and label a player as a definitive 40-goal scorer when they haven't done it for your team ever. But with the amount of shooting talent he has, that needs to be the standard for him. But... Of course, the best ability is availability, so staying healthy is most important, first and foremost. Yeah, it'll take him some time to get the consistency back, but he's played about a half a season worth of games with the Red Wings over the last two seasons, and he's averaging a near 50-goal pace in those, and obviously not going to keep up. I don't think anybody's sitting here and saying Jacob is a 50-goal scorer. But yeah, I, I would have to say 30 has to be the benchmark for him uh, because... You know, let's call a spade a spade. Verona's not a strong defensive player. That's why it's a huge benefit. He's playing with, going to likely be playing with Perron and Kopp. Um, He's definitely going to, you know, be a huge factor on the power play. And he's, you know, I'm not going to say he's not a playmaker. He's actually a sneaky good playmaker, but he's a goal scorer. He's going to be held to the standard of how many pucks he puts across the goal line. And I, I think that's this season, if he does play 82, has to be, 30. I think that's the baseline. I think I, I think we can be happy with anything over 30. Can't be mad at 30 goals. The rest of this, we don't really know how the lines are going to shake out, but let's just say Soderblom, Rasmussen, Sunquist. You know, we talked about Soderblom, and, and that's of course an exciting story, but to me, Michael Rasmussen, the, you talk about a depth player, a middle or bottom six player who's going to decide how your team plays this year. Michael Rasmussen's continued development and growth and taking on a bigger role in this team that's going to move the needle. There's no longer a player where if he has a good or bad game, he's not a needle mover. No, Michael Rasmussen has moved himself in that territory. He's probably going to get looks at center again under Derek Lalonde's new coaching staff and new systems. Uh, whether he sticks there is going to be completely up to him. I'm more inspired now than I have been in the past. 
But what is Michael Rasmussen going to do? And, you know, if he has Soderblom and Sunquist, or maybe it's Kubelik, or maybe it's Ernie, how is that going to impact the way the Red Wings perform this year? How long has it been since the Red Wings have had even adequate depth scoring? Never. I just hardly since this podcast has been around. And I don't think been, I don't think it has existed since this podcast has existed. We've been around for set more than seven and a half years, is it? Oh God. About that. <laughs> twenty fifteen, right? Yeah, February twenty fifteen. Jeez. So on top of Zadina, Kubelik, Valeno, Soderblom, Rasmussen's a huge factor in whether or not this is the year that finally happens. Um, he definitely found another gear in his game last season and looks like he's added more elements to his game in in the uh, preseason, which again is just preseason, but we talked about last episode. There are several players on the Red Wings whose development is going to go a, this season specifically, is going to go a very, very long way to determining when the Red Wings can compete. Rasmussen is one of them with a bullet. He, if Rasmussen turns into a legitimate third line winger or center who can flirt with 20 goals, is an effective net front on the power play, is sound defensively, which he already is. That is something they have not had in a very long time. If you couple that with, you know, a Zadina and a, we'll say Soderblom, looking like they can also fill a similar role, that completely changes the outlook of this team. And, you know, a calendar year ago, if you would have told me, oh, yeah, maybe Rasmussen will score 20 goals this year, I'd have laughed in your face. Mm-hmm. I think last year we were basically saying to a, on the podcast, like, what is Michael Rasmussen's role on this team? We were sitting, no, I remember vividly, we were sitting here on this podcast saying this is not an NHL hockey player. Nothing about him resembles an NHL hockey player other than his size. He was plainly terrible. He was awful. And then as the season progressed, like there might relative to where they started and where they finished, there were probably not many players in the NHL who improved more than Michael Rasmussen last season. Now, obviously much lower starting point than a lot of the guys we'd be comparing them to. Nowhere to go but up. But still, that's a testament to his work ethic, to what, you know, getting uh, uh, finally a decent bill of health can do for a guy and trying to expand your game. Uh, am I sold on him at center? No, not yet. I, I still think he's probably more effective on the wing, but new coach, new systems, and maybe even a more improved player. Yeah, by all means, try him on center, see if it works. Um, you know, I don't think, you know, we have expectations of improvement this season, but I don't think we have high expectations of results. So I have no problem if Lalone wants to spend the first month or two experimenting with, you know, different guys in different places, different roles, whatever. And and Rasmussen probably has the most flexibility of everybody. So yeah, I'm I'm super fascinated, not just by the counting stats for Michael Rasmussen, which obviously matter. I just I'm excited at the po- the thought of Michael Rasmussen truly being an effective 200-foot player where you can count on him in all three zones of the ice, which has not happened to this point in his career, and now all of a sudden looks like not only might it happen, I'd call it likely. That is a 
wild 180 based on how low Michael Rasmussen's development looked at points. All the credit to him because, you know, he turned it around with not a lot of changing factors in his favor. And frankly, the Red Wings got worse as the year went on. So it's not like he had a team. It wasn't a rising tide lifting all boats, you know. So he's done a lot and and hopefully will continue to do it because, yeah, having that kind of player in your middle or bottom six is that's the difference maker between good teams and competitive teams. Uh, there are a lot of forwards to talk about, but I think two more. We talked about Soderblom and the expectation for him, or at least what success looks like, is just coming in and staying on the roster and doing anything to justify staying on the roster. And if he doesn't justify it, he'll go down. So you'll know if Soderblom's doing well if you're seeing him play in the winged wheel. But let's talk about two players who there's a big focus on Joe Valeno and Philip Zadina. And we'll start with Valeno. For me, is if he can solidify himself as a everyday center or middle six player, you know, whether that's slotting in on the wing, but hopefully in a third line center role or at least being a viable center on this team where he's making an argument. This is a guy where we know he has kind of a slow ramp into being effective, but as he gets going and, and gets in a groove, he's he really does do well and he's focusing a lot on his game. We know he worked a lot on his fitness and trimming down like seven pounds or whatever it was. Dude's jacked uh, in the offseason. Uh, if, if Leno comes in and makes it no doubt, like you mentioned, Brad, earlier, that he should be an NHLer despite his waiver uh, exempt status, that that's what you're looking for. And he's off to a good start so far based on the preseason. Yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities between Valeno and Rasmussen in terms of, you know, projection, expectation, whatever you want to call it, you know, limited offensive upside, but the capability to be a full 200-foot player. Um so a lot of what I said to Rasmussen can translate directly to Joe Valeno. The one thing I will say, though, is Valeno has less to learn, per se. Because Valeno's been a very well-rounded player for a very long time. I don't think his offense is ever going to reach the point where we can talk about him as a top six forward. Um, even though it, it's okay, I, I don't think it'll ever be great at the NHL level, uh, barring some massive change. But it's good enough. Um, so for Valeno, I don't expect him to learn and adapt to new things like Rasmussen has had to. I just want to see Valeno get better at those things that he already has in his tool bag. Valeno can skate. He's one of the better transition players on the Red Wings. Um, you know, he's, he's one of the few Red Wings who just truly feels like he's all over the ice because of his speed. You know what I mean? Like the Red Wings aren't a very fast team. Um, but Valeno feels like he could be that guy that when it comes to matchups or certain teams or matching up against certain systems, he, he can be a guy whose speed is utilized either in a defensive role or in an offensive role. So, you know, again, I don't think my expectations of Valeno are any higher than Rasmussen's or even as high as Rasmussen's because, again, Rasmussen's a little further in his development because he's a year older. But, yeah, I just... I do want to see a step from Valeno this year. I do want to see him establish himself as an everyday center, just because I think his style of game is suited to center. You know, if he ends up as a third-line wing, it's not the worst thing in the world. But, um, yeah, I, Valeno's one of the harder guys to pin down what he is now in terms of role, but I think we got a pretty good feel for what he is as a player. Yeah, I think he's a very strong plug-and-play type player, and you need to have guys like that on your roster. And he still has a lot of development path left in front of him. So, 
Yeah. I mean, expectations, I don't really have a whole lot for Joe Valeno. I think he'll determine them himself this year. You know the utility player for a baseball team? The guy that's... It's literally him. It, it's, it is Joe Valeno. You could plug him. I'm almost fully confident. Any one of the 12 forward spots, and he'll tread water. Like, he was the Red Wings' number one center. It wasn't, it wasn't a pretty time. No, it wasn't great, but, like, he didn't look like he was drowning in that role. He wasn't good because, again, it's a number one center, but the Red Wings were battling injuries and, and other things, and, and he was up there. He is that utility guy for the Red Wings, and I think that's ultimately what his biggest strength and role is going to be for this team over the next few years because, you know, David Prawn gets hurt week one. Are, are you canceling the season if Joe Valeno's playing second-line wing with them? Mm-mm. Michael Rasmussen doesn't work out at center. Joe Valeno's now the team's third-line center. Are you freaking out about that? Tyler Bertuzzi gets traded at the deadline, and for the second half of the season, we're running Joe Valeno with Larkin and Raymond. Do you think there's going to be a massive drop-off on that line? Significant, I'd say. But he'll hold, he'll keep up. That That's what I mean. I think... It won't ob- be the same look line, but I think, yeah, he'd keep up. Yeah, so... I think that's what Valeno brings to this team above everybody else is he really is, and Evan's phrasing is good, a plug-and-play guy. Just develop your skills, find your niche, and then, you know, wherever the team needs him, he can go. So he's Taysom Hill on the the Saints. No, 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 because he's actually good. <laughs> hey, man. He seems to be effective no matter how frustrating. But I, I, I think that's a good, especially at this phase in his career, I think that's a good assessment of him. I do hope he instead of being a, a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none, becomes a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-at-least-a-couple. I think he's getting there on a couple things. Like I said, he's one of the better skaters on the team already. Yeah. And if he did trim up, and yeah, in the preseason, he looked fast. Like, the seven pounds or uh, however much he lost. Darren Helm. Is that you? <laughs> I No, I've seen I've seen Valeno score on a breakaway. But <laughs> oh, okay, fair enough. Hey, I have two, but it was just not in Detroit. <laughs> uh, okay, Philip Zadina, and this is a, a story that has been talked about a million times over, even in the past three weeks. Here's a summary on Philip Zadina. It's in his hands. He has shown a lot of things that have gone well, and that started at the end of last season. A lot has gone well in this preseason. I thought he was one of Detroit's best players. It's time to translate that into an on-ice production. Steve Eisman gave him a big vote of confidence with that contract. Steve Eisman also gave him a big vote of confidence in you know, preseason pressers where he said he believes he's doing all the things right. It's just about, you know, working on the small aspects of his game that he needs to and the production will come. Part of it came from last season, Zadina overthinking things. Part of it came from bad puck luck. Come, part of it came from decreased shooting ability. Part of it, you know, came from just playing bad hockey. But he's he has shown the talent in the past and he's shown the talent in my mind in recent at the end of last season and coming into this one where he's worked on his game and he can be effective it's just putting it all together we say that a lot on this podcast and that's so much easier said than done but philip zadina is going to be my player to focus on and i don't even think that's the first year i've said that i think this is like the third year in a row but genuinely he's going to be my player to focus on it's all on him now because there's the talent there's the opportunity and there's the belief from the coaching and management where he should be able to do this we know it's in his head. We, we've seen him do it on the ice so many times that we know he can do it. I have no questions about Philip Zadina's ability as a middle six winger in the NHL. 
he has all the tools in the world to be a to be very successful in that role, to be well above league average in in those roles. He's done it for periods of time, and then he something happens between his ears, and he starts double clutching. He starts missing the net. He starts you know overthinking things. We've seen it. Like I can't be the only one who was watching this preseason and camp and going, holy shit, he's figured it out. He looks amazing. And then saw him miss that empty net in Toronto and just went, that's his season. Like, I can't be- <laughs> well, the we're done here, everybody. Yeah, I can't be the only one who said, that's it. That's the one. It's <laughs> our slow transformation into shock jock radio hosts. Yeah. yeah, I was just like, I had that brief thought of, he missed the empty net. I saw the look of de- dejection on his face when- they zoomed in on him on the bench, and I went, that's it. It's over. It's done. <laughs> Let's try again next year. No, but, like, the sad part about that joke is it's kind of only a half joke. Because this, he, this he is, needs to show the mental resilience because there yeah. will be missed empty nets, and it needs it, to be gone right away from his head. Exactly. That, if he comes out game one and he's doing all the stuff we've seen at his low points last year— the double clutching, the firing it into shins, the missing the net, the, you know, holding it the extra two seconds, looking for the perfect shot. Then I'm legitimately going to be sitting there going, yeah, it got in his head. And that can't happen. It just can't. Now, you know, we also talked about, is he going to be unleashed under Lalone versus Blash Hill? How's that, the coach to player dynamic going to help or hurt Zadina? I don't know. Maybe Lalonde has a better way of communicating when Zadina gets down on himself. Maybe he doesn't. Who knows? Well, based on Lalonde's supposed uh, talents and abilities, Zadina should benefit the most from Lalonde's uh, uh, mentorship off ice. Yeah, exactly. And so in theory, it should be fine. But then again, I know Lalonde said don't read anything into the lines today, but then seeing Zadina rotating in as an extra, like that is also the type of thing that could kill Zadina's confidence sitting there going, "What, what do you mean I'm the 13th forward? Like, I don't know. I It's all between Zadina's ears. You know, there's going to be things that work against him fairly or unfairly. Honestly, at this point, it doesn't matter. He, he's got to figure it out. Like, hire a sports psychologist to follow him around 24-7 everywhere he goes. I Whatever the answer is, he's got to figure it out because we know he can do it. Philip Zadina, it's... I'm okay with being wrong about players. Everyone is at some point. From, from podcast hosts to professional talent evaluators to GMs and the players themselves. I've never wanted to be more right about a Red Wing than Philip Zadina. And you can see that in how we talk about him, right? A lot of people have given up on him and they make really strong arguments. I, I personally don't subscribe to that, uh, but you can see. and it's I not, don't see their strong arguments, but you can continue. That's fair. <laughs> I think there's people who very fairly say there's too much hype based on the lack of performance that we've seen. Anyhow. Yeah, there's nuance to the argument. It depends what the argument is. Yeah. The, the people who sit there, oh, Philip Zinez sucks. He's just not good. You're, you're, you're wrong. You haven't watched. We've seen him produce and look dominant in the NHL. It has happened, just not for long stretches. My there's two levels of hype. There's the draft hype, and if you're still on that, then you need to grow up. Grow up, and you need to take a, a new, refreshed look at Philip Zadina as a hockey player because that that ain't it anymore. Much like Michael Rasmussen, right? We're in, we did, we just had a whole conversation about how great Michael Rasmussen is. None of that warranted being a ninth overall pick, but we let that go. Give your eyes a rub and and take a look at who the player is now. Like he's a great 
puck mover. He can distribute the puck, and he still has the ability to produce offense. Yeah, and get over the fact that Philip Zadina is probably never going to be a 40, 50 goal scorer, but I think he can absolutely be that guy who you talk about it. He scores 20 goals every year. Like it's just what he does. I absolutely think he can be one of those guys, but he has to figure it out between his ears. And yeah, that's exactly it. It's not about wanting to be right about the draft type. That's gone. Like, Everyone, including us, who was over the moon about drafting Philip Zadina at six, and we said that's a steal, it was wrong. That's okay. That's just how it goes. I mean, I'm sure the Red Wings would also feel the same way. But now it's about knowing the the talent and the skill that can be unlocked there. Um, honestly, for me, success for Philip Zadina, other than the counting stats, is another indicator is let's say the first trade or injury or whatever happens in the top six, someone slumps and gets moved out, Peron, whoever else. Zadina should be the one of the first, if not the first player to be considered to move up. If they move Perron down because they they don't want him playing so many minutes or they're going to use him to bolster another line or injury or whatever, I want Zadina playing on the opposite wing of Verona. That is like the perfect situation. I want Zadina to force the hand of Derek Malone and get him in playing with Larkin or Kopp at center. That is going to be the best indicator for Zadina's success. And that's a high bar to set, but... It's got to come together at some point, and, and I, I almost think it has to be this year. You can just say, you want Zadina to force Eisenman to trade Bertuzzi. <laughs> Brad, Brad, Brad igniting seven, seven different angry parts of Red Wings fandom and directing them all at me. That's the that's the kind of shithead move, move that I deserve based on the amount of short jokes that I make at, at you. Like I said, I don't fire back often, but when I do... <laughs> Oh, I can already I can already picture the comments that I'm not going to read. <laughs> uh, the rest of the forward group, um, I think Kubelik, to me, Kubelik, if he can show any of his shooting talent and turn that into some kind of depth scoring or maybe even more, and again, helping out the power play, that is going to be what the Red Wings are going to be looking for from him. Any other thoughts on the forwards, Kubelik or otherwise? Not really. Nope. I don't. I don't think anybody beyond who we've talked about is super consequential to this season or going forward. So, and you know, Sunquist, Ernie, and that's not saying that they're not going to be productive or impactful players, but they're not going to make or break how this year goes. Or if they are, then a lot else has gone wrong. But hey, credit to Ernie. He had a, uh, a really solid preseason. So you hope he sees that, you, to see that continue. Uh, let's get into the defense here. Mo Sider, obviously, is who everyone's going to be talking about. Coming off a Calder winning season, we saw in the preseason teams are dialing in on him, which is really hard for another team to dial in on a defenseman. You know, If you're finishing every check on a defenseman who's as strong and elusive as him, you're essentially taking a forward out of the play for a few extra seconds at least. Um, but they're going to be honing in on him no matter what. Sophomore slump. Concern for Mo Sider? What does he work on? How do you how do you go up? What do you improve if you're Mo Sider based on the season you had last year? You know, no player's perfect. I personally would like to see Mo Sider be more assertive in the offensive zone because the talent's there. And for the points he put up last year, there weren't many times you really seen him aggressively pinching or, or trying to make that move to get a better shot off or even creating shots for himself because he very much defers uh, primarily, which, you know, most defensemen do, and that's fine, That as he should but there was definitely some looks he he passed up last year. There were definitely some opportunities to pinch last year he didn't take. 
Um, you know, and that comes with being a rookie defenseman in the NHL, so I'm not worried about it. But that's probably the one area of Mo Sider's game that I, I, I want to see a little bit more from this year. Uh, beyond that, yeah, it's just, you know, typical sophomore season. You're really good at a lot of things. Uh, just get better at them. Get a little bit better. Get a little bit more confident. Get a little bit more consistent. I don't think it's unfair to have really, really high expectations of Mo Sider. Yeah, I think he can win the Calder again. <laughs> No, that's uh, it's Bunting's year. <laughs> but you know, what fifty-year-old will Toronto drag out this year to play with Marner and Matthews? Brad Crisco. That's right. <laughs> Honestly, Brad could be up for the Calder with those two. Brad, just stick your ass in front of the net. You'll probably pot twenty goals. Yeah, I'm just gonna choke down on my stick and keep it on the ice right outside the crease and never move. Are you gonna choke down even more on your stick, Brad? Oh, I'm gonna be holding it at the blade. The mini stick. <laughs> <laughs> And you laugh, like, that's at least 23 goals with those two. Man. Yeah, Michael Bunting just proved that. (laughs) Yes. Mo Sider came in and won the Rookie of the Year award. This is the National Hockey League. If you do extremely well, 90 out of 100 points on your first, like, your report card for the first year, that's amazing. The Red Wings are now expecting 92-93. They're expecting improvement, and I think we're going to see it. We saw Mo Sider get better and smarter make better decisions, fewer mistakes as the year went on. I completely agree, agree, Brad, being more assertive offensively. I also think he he held off on making the big hits for the first little while. We didn't see the first big one for a little bit. And uh, he was really good in being measured about that. I don't mind seeing him take a few more strides now to lay someone out. How much does that do for the game? Sometimes good, sometimes more just about the emotional part of the game. But, you know, you now have the support of Sherratt next to you, or you now have the support of another better defenseman than, you know, Jordan Osterley, who is, which is who he played with for a lot of last year, or Danny DeKaiser. You have more room to do that. So you have more room to take uh, an offensive look. You have more room to lay a, lay a big hit. Focusing on perfecting the little aspects of his game and Sider should within a year or two or three or whatever be more in the conversation for, is this guy one of the, you know, top 10 defensemen in the league or should he be getting Norris votes? I, I, that's a big ask of a defenseman, but based on what we saw from him so far, I, I think it's not unfair to say, yeah, I want Mo Sutter to be in that conversation moving forward. I think there is more offensive, more offensive talent in Mo Sider than what he showed in his first year. And hey, hey I, I mean, he's it. very productive. I get it. As a rookie in the NHL, the last thing most guys want is to be the one holding onto the puck and looking off a a Dylan Larkin or somebody else and taking a shot and then everybody else is like, what the hell? Why did you do that? He still had 50 points. I, yeah. Which I, is like insanely, if he gets 50 points again, I still think that's, that's insanely still a great productive. season. But I think, like, I think he can do more himself. Yeah. It, his goal total was very low for a 50 point season. Seven. Yeah. Exactly. Like, so yeah, I think he's a double digit goal scorer based on what I've witnessed him do offensively. People are listening to this like, what else could you possibly want from Mo Sider? I mean, you saw that rip he had against Philly. Uh, If I had to summarize, do that more. We saw he can do it. We know he's strong, so we know he should be able to shoot the puck hard. Um, But I think for me, it is, you know, it's the flavor of the offense. But I'd also, we, we know how strong he is. I think he can utilize that defensively. Not only with big hits, but being more difficult to play all over the ice. God, do the Red Wings... How many times last year did I did I almost jump out this window when the Red Wings got completely lost in front of their net? 
I had to reinforce the windows. Like, I think Moritz Sider can be a huge contributing factor in making the Red Wings much more difficult to play, not only in their own zone, but within the, the home plate area in front of their own net. And yeah. I think he can use his elite talent and his physicality to do that. So I would love to see more of that this year. Just he already is difficult to, enough to play against, but I think he can take that to another level and be in an absolute elite tier of that amongst his peers. Yeah. If the worst case of most cider is he's exactly as productive as last year is altogether the same player, which is, you know, still a phenomenal defenseman in this league, the best rookie in the league. Um, but cleans up and focuses more on the details in the defensive zone. I'm still thrilled with that. I, I just he talked, had no one to learn from in Detroit, no, so no. I mean he no was support. doing it on what he thought, uh, probably what the other team's defense top defensemen were doing. <laughs> He's I, I know I just spouted off about it. it's not like we have high, extremely high expectations of Cider and we want him to go from the best to even better. But genuinely, if he holds standard from last year, avoids a sophomore slump, and you know progresses defensively i i think this is what you expect of your best players like nobody says oh we want Sidney crosby to have this just the same season like they don't have that expectation of themselves so why should we like nobody says to Connor mcdavid oh just have 100 points like if he gets 100 points that's a bad year like he's trying to be better every single year and i don't think more is any different i'm gonna do Ryan's job here and I'm going to transition us because you both have made separate points about what needs to happen with Mo Sider this year that directly relates to Ben Sherratt. Yep. Yep. And we, so we have to talk about Ben Sherratt in relation to Mo Sider because it matters. Obviously I already talked about how Andrew Kopp got the big veteran free agent contract off season. So the expectations of him are going to be fairly or unfairly very high and we not that we as fans, but like the coaching staff and management will have to hold them to. All of that applies to Ben Schrott, almost more so. Yeah. Because Ben Schrott looks like he's going to be paired with a potential Norris winner. One of the reasons Mo Sider could not activate more offensively last year was because he couldn't, because he was playing with boat anchors that would not be able to bail him out or save him or do anything if it went wrong. He's playing with Ivan Lopsinger on defense. Yeah. That's right. Ben Schrott should allow him to do it. Evan's talking about Mo Sider needs to shore up things in his own zone, which is still true. But the big reason for that last year is because he was playing with Danny DeKaiser and uh, Jordan Osherley. Ben Schrott should help solve a lot of those problems. Talking about how he had nobody to learn from last year. Well, now he has seasoned NHL veteran Ben Schrott to learn from. And, you know, you're talking about, you know, you want him to do this or that and kind of play a little more aggressive. Cool. He should have a safety net like Ben Schrott there allowing him to do that. Ben Schrott got paid probably too much money to turn Mo Sider into a Norris candidate. And then I'm. it doesn't even matter at that point. Like, yeah. Who cares what Ben Schrott's getting paid? No, Ben Schrott is here to be a complimentary piece, despite what his contract might say. But he has to be one hell of a complimentary piece. Mo Sider should not be the guy standing in front of the Red Wings and that barreling guys the whole game. Mo Sider should be the one breaking the puck out in transition, getting those secondary transition assists, leading the rush, you know, pinching when required. And it has to be Ben Sherratt holding down the fort in the key defensive areas to allow Mo Sider to do that. Because Mo, you know, 
a lot of the times last year where he did get a little too aggressive, it burned him in a scoring chance or a goal against because Osterley or DeKaiser just could not save it. You know, if most outer puts Ben Schrott in a, in a bunch of bad situations, which is always going to happen with D partners. I'm not saying this from a negative connotation. It's going to happen. Most outer is going to step up for a hit that turns into a two-on-one. Most outer is going to pinch. The shot's going to get blocked. It's going to come back as a two-on-one. NHL defensemen should be capable of breaking up a, a bunch of two-on-ones. Not every time they're going to do it. It's not a high success rate. But in situations like that, yeah, Ben Schrott should save him a bunch. And, you know, vice versa. Obviously, there's going to be opportunities for Sherratt to go lay a big hit or just the way the offense play breaks out, he's got to step in. Mo's got to do the same for him. That's how a defensive pairing works. But so much of what Mo Sider can do this year is now dependent on Ben Sherratt. So, And Ben Sherratt just got paid an absolute bag to be that guy. Yep. So he damn well better be that guy. The Red Wings need nastiness. They'll be a fun pairing to watch. I hope. I hope they're mean. I hope they. I hope other teams loathe Ben Schrott and Mo Sider by the end of the year. That's how you know it's been a good year. There, Evan, you talked this episode and all of last year. The Red Wings need to be tougher to play against, especially in front. Ben Schrott needs to come in and make it uncomfortable for forwards to go to the net. If if a forward is thinking when I drive the net, am I going to get punched in the nose by Ben Schrott here? That means Ben Schrott's doing his job. He needs to make this team tougher to play against. He needs to do all the things that Brad just said. And yeah, much like Cop, there's no grace period here over the course of a season. He needs to be that guy now. Another major story, and this is a reprisal from last season. Another check, another Philip, Philip Ronick. He's a player who is no longer being asked to do too much on this team. And that was true last season, but it should be especially this tr- true this season because, you know, Cider is going to have an even bigger role. Sherratt is in there. Uh, Mata is in next to him. Not that Mata's like a, you know, a superstar, not top four defenseman, but still. Philip Ronick needs to elevate his game now, if ever, because his long-term future on this team is going to be decided, basically decided on whether he can say, yeah, there's more to me as a player based on what we've seen in the past, or is this plateau what, what Philip Peronik actually is? And in this season, you know, again, he's not going to have the the world's best defensive partner to elevate him, but it, it's better than he'll have had. And this is as good as the situation is going to get for him, I think. Do you understand what I say if I say Philip Peronik doesn't need to elevate his game, he needs to get his shit together? Not exactly, but enlighten me. Okay, so we've seen what Philip Peronik's capable of. He's been in the league long enough. We, we, we know what his strengths are. We know what his weaknesses are. We know what he can and can't do with a puck. We know what he can and can't do physically. We know what he can and can't do in transition. Because we, we've seen the every extreme of Philip Peronik. He just needs to get his shit together. He can't be running around the D zone anymore because in all likelihood, he'll be playing with a responsible defenseman like Olimata, who probably won't be starting fire sales defensively. His point shot can't be buckshot anymore. It's got to hit the damn net consistently. That thing is... Yeah, it can't be a spray. Shades of Pulkinen. Yeah. Oh my God. It cannot be spray and pray this year. He can't get burned off the rush. Like, we've seen him have a good shot. We've seen him play sound defensively. We've seen him be effective in transition. 
he just needs to do it every damn game because God, he was inconsistent. We we joked about and talked about other players being like, oh, they're so inconsistent. Philip Heronic was the biggest culprit for inconsistency mm-hmm. last year. So, because again, like we talk about in, with Zadina in terms of we know he can do it, we've seen it. The same thing applies to Philip Heronic, but for a lot of different contexts. Like Zadina is just a confidence thing. With Heronic, it seems like at points he just forgets how to play hockey. It's not a confidence thing because he's still trying things and then it just ends up in the Red Wings net. Like we know what Philip Heronic can do. He just needs to trim all the fat, all the bad habits out of his game because they're starting to pile up. We know he can be a good second pairing defenseman. He's done it. Even when the Red Wings were horrible, we've seen him do it. When he was playing with the corpse of Danny DeKaiser a couple years ago, he could do it for periods. So now that there's a stable decor, he's not going to be asked to be on the top pairing. He's not going to be asked to be the trigger man on a power play. He's not even going to probably be asked to be the, the defensive defenseman on his pairing. He has no excuses. He needs to cut the crap out of his game, get his shit together, and just play sound hockey. Talk about one of Derek Lalone's biggest tasks. Everyone focuses on Zadina, and everyone focuses on, you know, the how you handle the top six uh, forwards or whatever. You have to extract what you can out of Philip Peronic. It, it, it might be an impossible task, or that could be that could prove to be one of the biggest benefits Lalone brings to this team. But if he's a player whisperer and he can connect with players, either him or his coaching staff need to, as Brad said, help him refine his game, rein it in. There's there used to be a point where you looked at Philip Peronic and an optimist would say that's going to be a future first pairing defenseman for the Red Wings, or you know someone who's a little bit more conservative said at the very least this is a guy who should be a stable top four defenseman for Detroit for the future if Hironic has another bad year I don't know that he is a long-term top four defenseman I think the only thing stopping him from being shipped out of that spot is is a lack of competition for top four on the right side uh he needs to solidify that I don't know I I I I want to be right that there is more to Philip Hironic but I'm not necessarily as We've seen we've seen more of the frustrating play from him in my mind than we've seen the fantastic play that he was like the highlight of his early career. So, not saying cut chase and give up on Philip Ronick, but the the onus is on him. Much like Philip Zadina, the onus is on him to pull it together this year, and, and I that will really impact how this Red Wings defensive group is moving forward. It's so funny with Philip Aronik because if you just look, pulled up the Red Wings stats, be like, what, what the hell are you guys talking about? I know. He's I know. a half a point per game defenseman playing in top four. What the hell else could you ask for him? But when you look at the finer details of the actual game that he plays, there's a lot left that's to be desired. There is a lot of times when we watch games and you could completely forget that Philip Peronic is on this team because he does absolutely nothing positive and does absolutely nothing negative. And some people would say, that's fantastic. It's like, well, I would expect a little bit more from someone who's supposed to you know, drive offense in the top four of this defense core. Um, yeah. 
I personally do not know what else you could really unlock from Philip Horonic at this point. I think he sort of is what he is, and you take the good with the bad, and you try and insulate him where possible. And if that's if he's if that's not going to be a long term piece of the team, then you do what you have to do on the trade front. But I really think Philip Hironic is what he is at this point, and not all of that's bad. Like I know why, sa- like we sound like we're just harping on this guy, but he's gonna get. F- He's going to get half a point per game in points this year, regardless of how much, how many games he plays. And I think he's still going to be the Philip Hronick that we've seen before. I'm okay with Philip Hronick being Philip Hronick. And, you know, if I had to boil my ultimate point down, it's I want Philip Hronick to be Philip Hronick just without the mistakes. Which I simply, simply put, like some guys never get over that. Yeah, I know we've went through the Brendan Smith thing before, but I don't want Philip Ronick to turn uh, into yeah, Brendan Kendall. Smith. <laughs> the dark years. Yeah, maybe I am coming in too hard on. There's going to be people who literally look at the box stats and say these guys are completely out of touch, and I completely understand where people are coming from. But when you watch the finer yeah. points of his game, it's like. I don't know how he gets half a point per game. Two two things before we move on, because for the sake of time here. One, if Philip Ronick is the fourth best defenseman in the Red Wings top four, that productive and just even That's the great, tiny then. bit better, I'm probably complaining less. But he's the second. Exactly. Exactly. And and that might be unfair to him. Second point is if we hadn't seen more from him before, we wouldn't be talking about this so much. But it's just so frustrating to know it could be there. But yeah, maybe it's maybe half of this is his Ronick f- fixing things like the small details of his game, and he's as productive, and we're happy with that. And the other half is Steve Eisman finds better defensemen to play, which he may have done this year. We'll see how it goes, and then it's not such a storyline. So, and this I think is the first coach he's had not named Jeff Blashill in the NHL, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, maybe there, maybe there is something more to be discovered there, and different systems yield better results for Philip Ronick. Um. Yeah, maybe there is something more there than uh, what I initially thought. Maybe he'll finally get rid of the square toe on his blade and tape his stick and he'll start hitting the net more. But that's, maybe, a, maybe that's he, another topic for Maybe he day. listened to Ryan's gear talk and de- Ryan describing what he wears on the ice. And he's like, oh God, I'm I'm partially this guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we have to move on here. Olimata. Look, here's my take on Olimata. He came in to do a job, which is be a responsible veteran defensive defenseman. He's not going to set the world on fire. He's not a particularly great skater. Yeah, what I've been warned of from you know people who know of his time playing for other teams, you know, don't expect him to be exactly make a one eighty turn too quickly. So he should shore up a defensive pairing in some ways, but there's going to need to be support in other ways. The expectation for Olimata coming in is that he just has to come in and do that. Just be sufficient in the top four. Make it so the top four is better than it was last year. The expectations of him aren't too high. It's just to come in and provide a steady hand, veteran leadership, and some consistency. That is my simple take on Olimata. My super simple take on Olimata is 90% of the games, I want to forget he's even out there. I don't want to notice him. I just want him to be a guy. I, I need him to be a competent bum. 
Man, it's going to be really hard to not notice the second pairing of Detroit's defense core. <laughs> yeah. As you can see, Detroit's defense core still has work to, yeah. to go. That uh, When you talk about why this isn't a playoff team yet, it's because, you know, you talk about they're maybe their second best defenseman, if not third. Who was I, the second pairing on Colorado this year? Oh, I don't even want to talk Shut about Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Any thoughts on the rest of the Red Wings' depth? Uh, Lindstrom, Wallman, uh, whenever he comes back, Hag, Osterley. No. I mean, I still think there could be something there with Wallman, but it's, that'll come when he gets healthy. Yeah. Goaltending. Vili Huso, Alex Nedeljkovic. Uh, Alex Nedeljkovic, sorry. Um, Ned has to come in and have a more solid year. Consistent. He told us that when he was on the Winged Wheel podcast recently. Made, minced, didn't mince words at all. He knows he has to be better. And Vili Huso... Is a big task in front of him. He doesn't exactly have a lengthy NHL career behind him, but he did impress in the regular season for St. Louis. The postseason was a different story, but... Delta shit hand. And the Red Wings aren't exactly talking about that yet, so talking about playoffs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, between the two of them, you have to hope that this is a Red Wings team that can not be sunk by goaltenders as often as they have been in the past. Well, Ned's coming into a contract year, and we already talked about that in context with Larkin and Bertuzzi. So, you know, motivation applies here. And like we talked about with Hronik and Zadina, we've seen Ned do it. He had lengthy stretches last year for Detroit where he looked fantastic. He also had a very lengthy stretch where he looked um, below replacement level. So if he's able to fix the second part of that, uh, he should have a very promising year. Um, Huso, on the other hand, is coming in. He's got, you know, tidy little contract under his belt, a uh, bit more term on his contract. And right now, probably the favorite to wrestle the starting job. But much like Ned last season, Huso is leaving a stronger program in St. Louis to come to a defense that is probably not going to give him as much support in Detroit. So it's his job to adapt and step up. You know, the other teams are probably going to get more more looks, better looks, and and he's got to, for lack of a better word, thrive. I mean, he's, he's not getting paid to be competent. You know, um, the Red Wings gave him this contract because they're betting on him being the guy. So, like, for all intents and purposes, Nedeljkovic is the insurance policy in this situation. Um, because, you know, he's got more flexibility at the end of the year. They can extend him. They can let him walk if if Huso proves to be the guy. Um, but, yeah, huso has got this three-year contract for almost $5 million a year. You know, he put up really impressive numbers in St. Louis this year. So, you know, it's only his second season in the NHL but and, and first with the Red Wings, so it's almost unfair to say it. But it's his prove-it year. It's the prove-it year for both of them in different contexts. But for Huso, it's like, okay, are you the guy? Because if you're not the guy, the other guy is going to be the guy. So prove it. Brad, you covered it on both of them. For me, it's one of the two have to establish themselves as an everyday NHL starting goalie. And I don't even care who it is. Huso Nedeljkovic doesn't matter to me. If that causes problems with one or the other, you know, you you figure that out. One of them, just establish yourself as an everyday starting goalie, and I th- that will be great. Okay. 
predictions before we get into overtime here. You know, we talked about what success looks like. Uh, we talked about the forwards, the defense, the goaltenders. Actually, before predictions, each of you, one key player that you're focusing on and you can't use someone else's that, you, that you're really dialing in on and why, very quickly. I'm going to start. I'm going to go first. <laughs> Are you laughing because I made, gave myself the first choice? No, because I think you wanted Brad to go and Brad was not looking no, at you I was, anymore. <laughs> I was deep in thought. Yeah. <laughs> I'll start. Like I said before, it's Philip Zadina. It's the cheapest answer. It's the easiest answer. So you both can you know beat me up for that after. But this is a guy who has every indication that he's going to have a better year and can seize a big opportunity. But he has to do it. You know, we had a long conversation about Philip Zadina. He's one I'm really dialing in on, and I think most Red Wings fans are. There's so many guys on this team this year where it's uh, it's a show me what you got for various reasons. Show um, me what you got. Sorry. Is that a TikTok thing? No, that's a um, um, uh, Rick and Morty. Oh, that's also why I don't understand it. Yeah, it's fair. I'm uncultured. Anyway, um, I, think that makes I will continue to beat this drum because I it's – my responsibility to do it, I will say Michael Rasmussen, 20 goals, book it. Book it. Oof. That's why I let you go second, because if you didn't say Rasmussen, I was going to say Rasmussen. That's right. I have an obligation to do it. I wasn't saying Zadina for a third year in a row, even though I wanted to. <laughs> so Very you know, obviously, I let go of things well. So I'll, obviously, you guys took a focus on on younger players. I'll take a focus more on an impact player, a guy... Who, if I he, did. Michael Rassie <laughs> said. <laughs> a guy who, if he pops off this year, really does change the dynamic of the Red Wings for the next few years. So I'm going to say Jacob Verana. Okay. Yeah, that's a, a good one. If we can get a full season of Jacob Verana and he is flirting with the 40 goal mark, that really, truly does change the dynamic of the top six, not just for this season. It gives them a legitimate weapon on the second line. And, you know, he's young enough that he could be a legitimate weapon on a playoff run. We know if the Red Wings go on a deep playoff run in the next five years, Sider's going to be a big part of it, Larkin, Raymond. You can run through the roster picking out the usual suspects. We need Verona to enter that conversation. So I will say him. If I wasn't going to say Zadina, I'd say Bertuzzi because I think that makes the contract very interesting. Predictions. Last season, the Red Wings ended with, what was it, 74 points. They went uh, 32, 40, and 10. What are your predictions for where they land this season? And do you think they make the playoffs? I don't think they make the playoffs. I think they're playing competitive games in late March that have playoff implications. I think ultimately they fall short. Um, I have them probably flirting, you know, high eighties, low nineties in terms of points. So pulling a number out of the air, I'll go 88. Wow. The only certainty I know is that the home opener, I am eating one of those four square deep dish pizzas. <laughs> After that, I'm uncertain about everything else that's going on hockey and hockey related and not. Um, don't we know it? Yes. Um, but for the Red Wings, I have them not making the playoffs. Um, 
I'm sure we'll get into it more when we do our Atlantic Division preview, but I think the other teams around them have also unfortunately gotten a lot better as well. Um, except Montreal. Except Montreal. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, how many points did Red Wings have last 74. year? 74. 74. I'll put them at 82. Yeah, I, th- I think I'm closer to you, Evan. I-, I don't think they're a playoff team. I don't think they're playing meaningful playoff games in late March. I have them considerably better than last season. I'd say 83 or 84 points, and that's 9 or 10 points better. That's four, four and a half to 5 wins. Sorry, how many points did you have? I'll, I'll give them 84, let's say, because I was told uh, I can't do 83. I think uh, I was the lowest of the three of us last year as well, so this is still very much standard. on track. And I was the highest, and um, I think my prediction was the closest last year because I had them finishing sixth in the division. That's right, and I had them seventh. Yeah, yeah. you guys, you guys had them seventh. I had them sixth, and they finished sixth. So I, I, and we have our Atlantic preview next episode, so we'll get into actual standings then. But I have them as five. Let's call it five wins better. That's a big difference. Uh, things working against them. Neither one of these goalies really inspires absolute confidence, although the potential's there. There is a lot riding on the forward group meshing right away, and I think there's going to be some lead time into that. And I think this defensive group is substantially better, but you know anything is substantially better than you have essentially one great player and the rest are a crapshoot each night at best. So I think the defensive group has a long, long way to go. Um, I think five wins better is would be a great improvement if it's less, if it's 82 points. Like Evan said, I'm not terribly disappointed. If they get close to 74 points again, then that's, you're obviously questioning what happened this season. Maybe there's a storyline to talk about there. I don't think what you're saying though is crazy, Brad. I, I think up to 90 points or, or in and around there, plus or minus whatever, certainly viable, but that means, you know, they they hit the ground running and the, the goalies played well all year. I think one of the big differences in, from where you guys are at versus where I'm at is I I think five to seven win improvement is probably about right. But I think the difference is in the games, they get shit kicked. And I know that doesn't necessarily sound like it would equal to points in the standings, but I do because I think if the Red Wings are more competitive this year, some of those, you know, five, one, four, one losses, could turn into OT losses and you get like, you know, three or four yep. extra loser points out of it. Yep. And it, it has a knock-on effect for for confidence in future games, right? It's harder to slump when you lose a one-goal OT game than when you get dumped on for nine goals by Arizona. I'll ask you this as a, a tease to our Atlantic Division preview. Oh, a little segue, a little cross-episode um, segue. Yeah. Do you think the Red Wings, well, I, I don't think, I think I know Brad's answer, so it's more direct at you, Ryan. Do you think the Red Wings have a top 10 pick in the draft next year? Without winning the lottery? Oh, I'm just, no. I'm just saying, yeah, no. without winning the lottery. Okay, no. yeah, yeah. I don't think they do. I think they're close, but I'll, I, I'll say, I'll, I'll say for all intents and purposes, no. I can see it being 10, but for yeah. the spirit of your question, no, I don't think so. Brad, I assume you're also a no based on the per number, the points. They'd only have to jump three spots in the standings to be bumped out of the top 10. So I will say that is probably a fair expectation for them. Yeah, I think I'm a no as well, but I think they could still win the lottery. 
Would that this will be the year no, we will probably. finish? If they win the lottery, I'm jumping out Ryan's yeah, window, like actually down. jumping out. I'm sorry for anything on your the ground out there, but I'm going to be part of it. Yeah. No, no. What's going to happen is they're going to finish 14th last, win it, jump up to fourth. So we miss out on Bedard, Michkov, and Fintilli. Like yeah, you know, no, that sounds right. Yeah, that's, actually, I can that's get a real that. Red Wing season preview yeah. right there. Yeah, <laughs> we finally won the lottery. We didn't get any of the generational. Pl- we didn't get any of the franchise players in the draft, even though there was three of them that would be how the red wings break the lottery curse well that's a good as point as i need to wrap up the season preview and uh, get into overtime hey it took this long before we mentioned the draft lottery how different this season preview oh, is God. than previous oh yeah by this point however many years ago we were talking about lafreniere or whoever it was okay uh, i did mention that we were gonna we had an interview with prashant Iyer. that's actually going to come up next episode so uh, we're just going to shift that, and uh, we have some other guest spots, hopefully, for that episode as well. So next episode is the Atlantic Preview. Uh, for now, that is our 2022-2023 Red Wings season preview. It's a mega episode. We're still going to do a very quick overtime here, uh, which is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Podcast. if you want to support the Dub Dub Club. Give us the means to do a mega episodes like this. Uh, get benefits like the Patreon-exclusive Discord. Uh, entrance into giveaways for uh, we have two tickets to every single Red Wings home game this year and the majority of those are going to be going to patrons a bunch of other things that are benefits for patrons and uh, you help keep the show going so uh, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast and oh also after each episode we record a patreon exclusive overtime so any comments from patrons that aren't read out during the main episode you get a, a little bonus episode which is good fun Evan usually uh, goes off last one was a little rowdy Okay, let's take some questions here. Uh, start with um, <laughs> Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe says, is there any reason not to put $20 on Lord Elmer to win the Calder? And Hockey Town Racing Academy says, before this becomes obsolete, hashtag Elmer for Calder. Look, the reason not to do it is it's terribly unlikely, but we also told you the same thing about Mo Sider last year, so what do we know? Yeah, we didn't say Mo was that unlikely. Uh, we said it was really hard for a defenseman to win the Calder and that he would have to have like an insane season. And he did. And he did, so... We were right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were right. Jonathan Melwish says, hi, gentlemen, and Ryan. Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, what would you prefer, overperform this season and make the playoffs, lose in a game seven in round one, or underperform but finally win the lottery pick? Oh, God, the lottery. A thousand percent, that one. Oh, yeah. It'd be I, painful. If you didn't just hear the last five minutes, I think the lottery is where I'd land on that, too. Yeah. yeah well, other than your lawn. Other but... than, no, it's the deck, so you don't have a soft landing oh, I feel anymore. sorry for Mel. I apologize <laughs> to the deck. She worked hard to build that. I know. It's just an Evan-shaped hole in the deck. <laughs> it's a big hole, man. It is. Some milk bag shaped hole yeah uh yeah it's it, it would be painful and i'd bitch and moan about it but that lottery one would be so sweet um is the best says what team of the bottom feeding teams would you hate to see get Montreal, Bedard? chicago either one of those those are the two answers chicago because they don't deserve nice things in montreal because oh god how obnoxious give it give it to arizona and watch them continue to be arizona Large, the prophet of the towering behemoth who deserves to have his comment read out because the prophet of the towering behemoth has been a name that he's had for a while and is a call out for Elmer Soderblom. Says, I might be overly pessimistic, but with the cuts made, the defenders left on the roster, uh, it means that we won't be a team that decently skilled teams will struggle much against. We might be a harder team to play than last season, but the lack of puck skill on D means that I think we'll be quite easy to pin down in our own zone. Uh, Mo can't carry the puck out of the zone or make a pass longer. Uh... 
carry every puck out of the zone or make a pass longer than 10 feet. Sider and Ronick are the only defenders who are good skaters. Uh, Mata, Hag, Sherratt, Lindstrom, and Wallman, once he is healed, do you think they'll be that much better than last season's D? I mean, some fans talk about the playoffs or at least the wild card, but I really doubt it. How about you? Yeah, it's not a great transition group, but it, this should be a much better group for preventing scoring chances. Um, so, you know, hopefully it translates to easier saves for Huso and Ned. And, you know, the, the all the additions on forward help, too, because a lot of times a breakout is just a defenseman having to make a, a wide-open 10-foot pass, right? So, you know, if Lindstrom's in a position where he can just give it to Larkin or, or Perron or, you know, whoever is capable of breaking out, it's fine. So... You know, not every transition leads to a goal, but, you know, every transition out of your D zone uh, means you didn't get scored on. So, you know, if they can at least just keep high danger chances down, that's all we need. Yeah, I can see the concerns. Um, I'm not saying Wallman's a game breaker, but I do think he moves the puck pretty well in his feet. Um, It's just going to be a different shape. Sherratt and Mata are going to be the crux of how much better this defense is. But yeah, I still do think that's going to be the weak point of the team. I agree, Lars. Um, let's say last one here from Orange Sunquist says, if Sedina and Rasmussen both continue to underperform their draft pedigree, uh, will missing on those two high picks be the reason the Wings don't win a cup with this rebuild? No, but it's you can largely already point to it. Uh, the reason things didn't turn around quicker because that, that was... Um, the reason Blash, like if that's there, different, Blashill still has a job. There's a four year stretch there where the Red Wings, you know, the book's still out on Zadina uh, and Valeno, but like 2015 was a whiff, 2016 was a whiff. You know, even though Rasmussen's turning it around, 2017 was a whiff, and you know, 2018, 2018 draft could still be good because Zadina, Valeno, Bergeron, there, there's still optimism there, but. Man, you cannot have that stretch of first round draft picks and and turn it around. There's a reason we've been in this rebuild for what what is literally nearly a decade, most of our lives. <laughs> Which is a stupid joke to make, considering how often they made the playoffs. Okay, that is our mega season preview episode. Next episode will be the Atlantic preview. It will uh, feature our guest spot with Prashant Iyer. Uh, some other bonus uh, in there. Again, DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP to get your tickets to Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. Thank you all so much for supporting. To the sponsors of this episode, NordVPN, we appreciate it. Uh, to all of our listeners, new and old, thank you. All of our patrons, our name-level supporters on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer is the best, Nick Perks, Terry Driver of the number 69, Crying Ryan Hand has been in Slam and Jamathong, Matthew M. Rice, Claire Arjun, uh, ben Hurd, Claire, I believe, is a new name of a sponsor. Welcome, Claire. Ben Hurd, Brendan M, Carl Brutina Nanaluski, Chimmy, Chris Ball, Chris B, Chris P, Citizen High Five, Connor Scoby, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Elite First Scoring Line, Scott Dork, Sleeve McDykel, and Bobson Dugnut, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hassam Al Kassem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Kalen Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Marcus, Matt McKay, Nedelkovich, goalie number one. Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hanna, Ryan Hanna, The Unshowered, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, The Podcasting Couch, Zachary Rogers, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Adam, I Wish I Could Finish Like Ernie, Adam Rose, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog is a Stanley Cup champion, 
Ben Barron, Brad and Evan checking their phones as I read this. <laughs> Bingo. Hey, who did you pay to do that? Oh, uh, no one. It, it's not on there. Ryan's just just made it up. Brian Vash, Connor Leighton, Darren Fick. Oh, that's good. Uh, Dave W., Philip Zadiz Nuts, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingalls, who is a new name level sponsor, I believe. Welcome, John, and thank you. Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Logan Burgos, Matt S., Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, no, I'm Evan's soft-handed line mate, O. Ophelia, Papa Woody, Puce and Boots, <laughs> Reed, the WWP Flannel Gang, and Thick Rick. Thank you all so much. Enjoy your flannels. We'll talk to you Thursday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.